Hello and welcome to the very first episode, the debut of Is This Seat Taken? A podcast featuring people who have many places to call home and seek community wherever they go. My name is Amy Meadows, I'm the founder of Amy Meadows Events and your host today. Now my very first guest was someone who I immediately thought of when I started thinking about community and place and identity and the creation of this podcast. Her name is Adiola Naomi Adoremi and she is the founder and editor-in-chief of Distinguished Diva. Adiola is a multilingual, multilocal and multi-format artist, scholar, activist and healer. She received her Masters of Science in Public Health at Birmingham City University, working as a curator, yoga therapist and editor-in-chief of Distinguished Diva. She is currently working on raising awareness among the general public on issues concerning human trafficking, gender equality, women's health and equal representation for voices of women of African descent in the global media. Her work in various mediums has been featured in publications such as Women Under Siege, New York Times, Ms. Magazine, New Museum New York, Forbes, Eflux, Elle and Vogue. Adiola is the founder of Distinguished Diva, a collective that fosters community building, communication, outreach and global accessibility for women of African descent with a focus on telling and amplifying stories told by these women. Her master's thesis focuses on the socio-economic impact of violence in women of sub-Saharan Africa. I'm so excited to share this conversation that we had with you. Adiola is an extraordinary woman and her approach to community and relationship building all over the world is incredibly inspiring and energising. So enjoy this episode. What has your experience of lockdown and being on your own in your home been like? I think, uh, I mean, I just want to acknowledge that I feel like I am one of the privileged people being in lockdown because I still have my job and I still have like, I still work 40 hours a week. It's, it's, a, it's a privilege, but it's also like weird. As a person, I'm a very much like, I like being busy. Mm -hmm. or let's say I like doing things yeah I like doing things not being busy but I like doing things so being in lockdown and being a comms person who's also doing crisis communication has actually given me more work Mm -hmm. than when people like I'm so bored I'm at home I'm just like I just have so much on my plate actually than I used to and I think also like I have a very big space like I live in the center I live I don't live in countryside so I don't have access to like the outdoors as much as I would like to but my house is massive so I have like a studio space I have a living room that I also use as a dance place I have an office space and it's very separate from my bedroom so all of that kind of give me space to dissociate different things Mm -hmm. and I have done this thing I used to work in fashion so fashion is like inherently part of my identity in a way so every day I dress up like I wake up I do yoga I do meditation I take a very long shower I spend like I know that it's not environmentally friendly but it's kind of like the way to feel that I am still here and I still have control so Mm -hmm. I would take a long shower put on my music allow my body to like just be nurtured by myself and also water because I really connect to water and dress up and when I say dress up like a lot of people have been doing the 
top half of their body dress up no i have like quite a lot of like couture dresses so for me it's just like i'm wearing dresses putting on a red lipstick looking at myself in the mirror be like yes this will be the look if we were going for a gala or something but i'm gonna sit in my desk and work in this outfit and so i feel like i have been handling it quite really well when it comes to that so i've been very much giving myself pleasure and things that just give me joy mm-hmm. even though in like intellectually and of course looking at the numbers there's a lot going on but I'm also like I don't want to look at the numbers every day because I think that I found that very triggering and I found that as someone who lives and deals with anxiety that's actually really dangerous for me to do Mm-hmm. So like the first week, I, I was really anxious because I have family members who work in, in the NHS. I have people who are working on the front line and I need to like get in touch with them. And a part of me is like, also, I don't live at home. So my family is in the UK and I live in Belgium, right? So it's a bit like trying to catch up with what's happening in the UK. I also have families in Nigeria. I have family in Greece. So trying to catch up with people in different parts of the world. And I just needed to kind of find a a routine, something to give me joy, even though just waking up and I don't work in my bedroom. A lot of people are like working from home, working on my bed. I'm like, no way. What do you mean? (laughs) That's not work. Those people are people who have never worked from home before. And that's so exciting. Like if you did this like the rest of us and worked from home normally, there is no way in hell you would open your laptop in bed. exactly I don't put my laptop like I have a work laptop and a personal laptop my personal laptop can get to my bedroom because I'm watching Netflix at night but that's it also and I'm trying to even not do that so I haven't been consuming like digital content from TVs I've just been reading meditating doing yoga wearing beautiful dresses and taking pictures of them and putting it on Instagram because people are just like what is she doing Honestly, your aesthetic on Instagram through, through lockdown like is so inspiring. I'm like, and now you've said they're couture as well. I'm like, that just adds an extra level of elevation to it that I hadn't even appreciated. Like, <laughs> so you come across to me as someone who has done so much. So you say you worked in fashion, you were a dancer, and now you're running Distinguished Diva. Just talk us through how, how, your, how your career has progressed and to where you are now. I feel like I've lived quite a lot. I feel like I've lived a big life in such a small lifetime, I guess. Uh, So I started as a, I have been a professional runner since I was nine. So I've been running athletics, which comes sometimes with endorsement from brands. And then you become a model for the brand or brand ambassador. So being in in front of the camera, I've always been a thing that I do. And also being a dancer, you're always like kind of performing to a certain extent. But I professionally got into fashion as a fashion editor for a student magazine when I was a student. And so I was doing the editorials, I was doing the creative designs and all of that, which at the time, I I grew up in Greece. I'm Greek Nigerian, so I grew up in Greece. So at the time in Greece, it was very interesting to be like, the diversity in a way because Greece doesn't have a uh, we have a lot of Afro-Greek but I grew up in a city in a second part in the north of Greece so there's just nothing I was just the only person that they could see of color and 
producing and being the fashion editor for a student magazine and then moving on to a national magazine was just a big deal at the time. So I go to fashion shows. I was asked to work fashion shows. I was just like, I am a stylist, not a model. And then I just become a model. So that, so a lot of things just happen like this. Like I'm somewhere and someone's like, you're being great for my music video. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> But it was really, I think that's where my, it allowed me to work and nurture my creativity because I'm a very much cerebral person. Like I study speech and language therapy, have a master in public health and policy. So I'm a very much into my brain kind of person and, into, and I work in policy, right? But creativity was allowed through my art and through moving and dancing and then fashion. Fashion just became a thing because I love fashion. I found myself as a fashion editor. I do this works. I go to fashion shows. I do catalogs. I do modeling. I do like runways and uh, pictures. And it just becomes something I was like, okay, I'm going to start my own blog. So I started a blog. I think when I was 20, I started a blog and documenting. And then I got like a lot of brand endorsements. Brands invited me to talk to them about like how they can do stuff differently. What kind putting my touch in their creative work. So it was really just interesting, even though I was still working at the same time at a hospital. I was working at uh, then at a neurorehabilitation clinic. So it was just like, on my day job, I'm working at a hospital and all the time of the day, I'm doing this creative process, which was really... Wow. I don't know when I got time for all this. Now that I think in retrospective, I was like, where do I get the time? But it was really what nourished me as an individual that kind of gave me the opportunity to nurture both my cerebral perspective, but also like my very creative mind. So mm-hmm. my blog was going on. I think I stopped blogging, not stop. I transitioned to Distinguished Diva from blogging. Right. Once I started getting invitations to like art residencies, to be a fellow, to talk about what, how can we use art as a chain for social movements. And I was very big on women specifically. I mean, fashion is great, but I love using like feminism into my fashion and talking. So I, re- I used to be that blogger that would wear the outfit, but literally don't tell you anything about the outfit, but talk about like the social change that's happening in the world. You know, when you're wearing like this fancy outfit, you have this editorial shirt and then you're like, I was working in the train today and I observed this man talking to this woman like this. And it was, so interesting so it it was very much different from what people were used to when it comes to fashion bloggers at the time yeah it's like social clickbait I love it (laughs) exactly it was like I'm wearing this very beautiful outfit and I'm collaborating with this designer but I want you to think about sexual harassment (laughs) I want you to think about catcalling think about all of these things Mm. so it was really I think that for me made it really it distinguished me from being like just a blogger who just put outfit like I'm not putting just outfit out there Mm -hmm. and from that I move on to actually wanting to people start telling me how important my stories were that I say and it was a lot of stories of other people so I was like I enjoy telling the stories but I also enjoy creating a platform where other people tell the story Mm -hmm. which is how I went to a residency in New York and I met like a couple of artists who are women, who are women of the African diaspora, who are telling different stories in different formats. So some are writers, designers. I was like, okay, I need us to create something where we tell our story. And I'm not speaking for other people, but I'm creating a space where all these artists are telling their stories. And that's mm-hmm. how Distinguished Diva was born. Amazing. 
Amazing. And it is when you go, when you look at Distinguished Diva, it does the, the, the voices, the, the, um, the kind of rich diversity of the voices on the site. It's, it's really addictive. I find myself falling into a bit of a rabbit hole on your blog. One, because you just want to soak up all of the humanity, like all of the experiences. I think it's really beautiful how you've curated it. And Thank you. that was really important. Like the important part for us for me to be a conduit in a way mm-hmm. where the platform exists. So I call the platform, it's like about stories, it's about uh programs. So we do programming, we do mm-hmm. stories, we do events, and we're launching into products later this year yeah. if COVID allows. <laughs> but it feels for me that the community element was the necessary part, like how people are within a community, people are really different and people have different stories and different layers to their stories and complexities. Mm. And I hope that that was able to be given a voice, I guess, in the industry that we are. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's really beautiful. And so you, you started in Greece and then you did your residency in New York and you're originally... You, then you were in the UK. Oh, right? yeah. And, yeah. And, and now you're in Brussels. Yeah. Was there I have lived in many places. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting. So I started Distinguished Diva in, in Athens, but the people I collaborated with, so one of my co co founders, that's how I call it now, Danielle, is from New, uh, she's from Berlin, for example. Mm-hmm. And we all met at this residency with the new museum in Athens, looking into cities and how cities are made and stories that each cities tell. And when they all, we all go back to our houses, everybody went away. I reached out to my, uh, one of the fellows that I met, who is currently now one of my good friends, Sasha. She's an editor and a writer in New York. I'm just like, hey, Sasha, do you want to do this with me? Hey, Danielle, do you want to do this with me? And we all came together. And that's literally one thing we also wanted to be obvious on the website and also in the work that we do is the just breaking down the borders through creating physical and digital spaces for different stories. Mm. And and what made you end up in Brussels? What drew you to Brussels? Uh, so I moved to the UK. I, I've always come to the UK because I have families in the UK and families in Greece. So the UK has always been a place for me any time, every time, I think once a year. So I came to the UK to do Erasmus. I don't, you, mm-hmm. it's like an exchange program, right? Within oh. European countries. So I did Erasmus in 2008, so back. <laughs> and when I finished my Erasmus, I went back home to Greece and I was like, okay, I'm going to go to the UK later on sometime to study again. I was planning to do a PhD in the UK. But somehow in 2016, I got offered a job in an institution in London to be a media consultant. So I moved to London for that. And it was from there, I was just like, I actually love London. So why not? Stayed in London for two years and then decided to go and do a master in public health and moved uh, from London to Birmingham so I started doing my master in Birmingham University mm-hmm. and after that I got like Brexit happened right so it was so interesting because Brexit happened I still want to come to the UK but when I when I, as someone who's always loved the UK and always been in the UK before Brexit I felt there is a change after Brexit in the UK for mm-hmm. me as a European who still loved the UK and when I finished my master's 
well, before I finished my master, I was just like, I need to go back to Europe because I don't know what's happening with Brexit because of the uncertainty. There was like extension over extension. So I was just like, okay, I don't know what's going on. My family's here and this, uh, the UK will always be home, an extension of home. And I wanted to go back to Europe. So I started applying for a job while I was writing my thesis in Berlin specifically and Paris. And funny enough, I got a job in Brussels. <laughs> <laughs> so I have been here for a year and two months. Okay. Yeah. So I'm a new Brussels bubble person. <laughs> it's very yeah. interesting. <laughs> and, it, and it must be strange to be in a new place and now in lockdown. So there's no kind of adventuring to be done right now. Nothing. There is no family. You know how people like going to family and being locked down with families or friends. That's mm-hmm. not happening because I don't know anybody. I know, I, I know people, but I don't know people enough to do that. Yeah, yeah. And when you first came to Brussels, what, or more generally, I suppose, when you first arrive in any new country, like what are the first things that you do? Are there particular things that you do to ground yourself in a new place yes so before moving to Brussels and generally before moving anywhere I feel like there is a trend of me having been there before multiple times so I kind of get I know the energy of the place because it's really important uh, when I moved to London it was just funny because I was living at home not my house but the house I was living at all of my friends were living there so we it was like a Greek house all my friends right. from from Athens we all live in the same house it's like literally being pulled from Athens to London where we all still see each other yeah so it was it it felt it felt like there was no need to do the grounding it was just like a continuous it was very fluid and continuous Mm -hmm. whereas with Brussels when I moved here it was also similar because my friend was leaving Brussels to move back to London so she's from New Zealand we've known each other for a while she's been living in Brussels for a while and she was like I'm moving away back to London I was like I'm moving to Brussels she's like let's just swap apartment (laughs) (laughs) and so she moved I moved into her apartment and it's just like I haven't had to find an apartment. I haven't had to do this. You know, when you're moving, you're looking for places. You're looking for furniture. Wasn't part of my moving experience. And I also work in a... Uh, Brussels is very small compared to London. It's really tiny. And when you go to different events, you see people. And as a communication person, I am the face of an organization. Mm-hmm. So I do go to events a lot. And when I go to events, I kind of meet people so easily. And my organization is quite big in Brussels, so it makes sense. So I've met quite a lot of people through my work, but also through my art, because it's so small that whatever you do here, it kind of gets amplified and people see it easily. Oh, wow. So do you, have you had any like presentations of your work or yeah so you've been doing yeah I've been here for a year I've been at a I've been part of a very beautiful performance here at one of the institutions in Brussels I have the I have been invited to open up a festival in uh, Ghent which is really funny because they're quite more British people than there are Belgians at the <laughs> event of that day like people coming with their boats from Bristol to Ghent that was really nice wow I know I oh, didn't expect awesome. it I want to do that. So I have done the present. My work has actually been more obvious easily here because of the tiny population and also people. But I have 
realized that I couldn't, I still, Brussels has been the most challenging place for me to make it home mm-hmm. in a way because uh, it's, it's a very, it's already a divided country. So there's like the Flemish part who speak Dutch and then the Wallonians who speak French. And then there's a tiny German population. And having lived in Germany, I do speak German. So I just start speaking German to people when they speak Dutch to me because I'm just like, you are going to understand me somehow. I feel, I hope. But I feel like within community in terms of like creating home and communities has been really hard here because... Uh, I haven't been able to navigate the language of the nuances of the language, not the linguistic part. Like, yes, I understand what people are saying and what they're saying, but coming from a more diverse and metropolitan as London, Mm. this place has been more difficult to navigate. And also coming from South European background, I am a South European, I'm Greek. So it's really different how we talk about things, how we navigate relationship and communicating with each other than the small Western European countries compared to London. You know, London is like the word, right? London is a bubble of this is the word and you see everything. Whereas here, it's just really tiny and things are going on underground. Things are going on in different parts of the city. And you're just like, I'm getting an invitation to speak about topic. I shouldn't be the one getting an invitation to speak about, Mm -hmm. but I don't understand why. And I'm trying to navigate it. So it's a bit yeah, it's tricky. I still find it that, yes, it's easy to be visible, but it's difficult to make it home for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. So there's almost been a bit of culture clash. Yes, a big yeah. one. And I guess when you're an amalgamation of so many different cultures, like you are and like your businesses and like London is in a way, yeah. going into somewhere like Brussels where it's smaller and more of a kind of microcosm, Mm-hmm. Almost, it's almost you have to learn the cultural cues as much as you do the linguistic ones exactly I think that's that's the process I am taking on now and it's quite difficult when you're in isolation now to do that because there's nothing to <laughs> get data from anymore but yeah I, I'm, I'm navigating that differently here and I find it that having lived in different contexts this has been the first place I feel challenged Mm. in a way because Germany is also a Western European country and massive population but it was easier for me to feel at home in Germany Mm -hmm. and I lived in Bavaria which is like very Germany not Berlin (laughs) so it's a bit different Bavaria is like um I just think of um, the sound of music (laughs) voila is that is that close enough? I just think of like I don't know. That's terrible. I've clearly never been. I just think of clogs and like beer steiners and. That is true because I was literally in the middle of Bavaria at the border with Innsbruck, which is Austria, and there were quite a lot of festival. There were quite a lot of beer festival. It was small, but it was also like metropolitan there were quite a lot of international people working in munich at the time so even Mm -hmm. now so it's also about the international people in the community makes it easier whereas here the international people are very transient people are leaving so the more because of the institution the institution change people people change Mm -hmm. people live very often so there's not a sense of community here in that extent Mm. and it'll be interesting when we come out of lockdown as well you know if if the cultural cues you know if you've been learning a certain set of cultural cues up to this point mm-hmm. then coming out of lockdown I wonder if like almost the rules change 
you know, because it's not like even people's body language will change. I think yeah. how people interact with each other will change. And even for people who have lived and worked in the same place, I think there will be a period of kind of reintegration. And mm -hmm. I wonder how, what that will look like in a, in a community like in Brussels, um, as opposed to the bigger cities. Like, I'm gonna it's gonna be so interesting to see how people behave when they come out the other side yeah it, that that's so interesting so I think last uh yeah Friday we had a not Saturday evening we had like a zoom meeting with the people who live in Brussels and talked about pleasure for example and it was the first time where I felt like people were able to be vulnerable because it was virtual mm. Exactly. And I was just like, so this is what we're learning. We're kind of learning to communicate differently and build communities very differently than we used to, because now there's more of an urgent need for community uh -huh. because everybody's in isolation and everybody's kind of, I don't, I don't want to say this word, but I feel like it's very essential to name what we're experiencing. I feel like we're all mourning 2020 to a certain extent because we did all have some big plans. Everybody's like, Vision 2020, and that plan is not working. Because no, no, there was so much like, this is our year, like for businesses, for people, I think. Exactly. Yeah, no. But I feel like that might create, I, I think we're never gonna go back to normal that we know before, but we are creating a new normal. And I'm actually excited to see what that new normal looks like. Mm, I am too. Good. And to see, to see what art comes out of it as well. Like there is yeah. so much creativity to come out of this space, whatever this is. And, yeah. you know, whether that's podcasts or whether it's physical artwork or poetry, like I've had so many friends writing as a way of processing. Same. I have this note. I started writing at the beginning of uh, isolation, quarantine. I start writing a poem a day. Wow. And I am shocked at the level of vulnerability and rawness and discovering of myself that has happened through that writing and i shared like I, i'm very shy sharing my poetry which is very funny because i'm not a shy person but poetry for me is like where i don't edit myself where i'm not putting input in it's actually something that comes naturally to me to heal and to just navigate what i'm feeling mm -hmm. and i realized that when I share this with my best friend, she's like, this needs to be a book after isolation. And I'm just like, interesting, interesting. She, and I feel like I know quite a lot of artists because of Distinguished Diva. And I know quite a lot of writers who are really using poetry as a form to heal right now. Mm -hmm. And I'm really excited, having seen some of the work that people have shared with me in confidentiality, I'm really excited about the artwork that we will come out of this. Mm -hmm. Mm. I'm just really excited. I mean, I don't want to tell people be productive, but I feel like we can heal by creating something that is necessary in the world. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think if it feels natural to be creating, then mm -hmm. and that's in flow, then that's great. I think I agree that you know competitive quarantine is not what is needed in the world <laughs> right now. And um, I read something online that someone shared the other day that was. Um, like how you know when you've internalized capitalism and it kind of listed off, you know, feeling guilty for resting, yeah. uh, feeling like you have no value if you're not working. And I was like, oh God, <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is to me in uh, a really quite a dark way. So it's been a real journey of like, if I want to create, then I create, but if I don't, 
then you know it's okay to just sit and I mean god I realized that I hadn't taken a break of in any meaningful sense since I left school like I've never been in the university system I've never done anything like that so I literally like there was no gap year <laughs> it was just 17 years old straight out into the workforce and I've just not stopped so it, there was a period of real adjustment of like mm-hmm. oh, oh so I don't have to do anything yeah I think that's the biggest part (laughs) you learn that you don't have to do anything I I, because of the work that I do I kind of launched myself into this isolation productivity in a way to like because my work literally requires me to kind of pick up the pieces about the things that will not be happening this year why how to communicate that to the people and the stakeholders that we work with and I realized I took uh, I told my boss, my manager, I'm going to take four days away and just do nothing. And I did nothing. And the amount of journaling that happened between those four days, I have, I'm a person who journal, but there were times where just like, I feel like I journal because I have to journal. Mm-hmm. On those four days, it wasn't because I have to journal. I just like sitting, sleeping, watching the sun. I think I shared some on Instagram where I'm just like literally wearing bikinis in my house and sunglasses. And I'm just like sitting by the sun. And the amount of things that I not, I was able to kind of have this epiphany about myself, mm-hmm. about the way I navigate relationship with other people. And that relationship kept me like partnership and work and people I create and co-create things with was so profound that I was just like, I needed this break. Mm-hmm. It's very necessary. And I think that's the that's the part I, I started feeling non-guilty for not being part of capitalism competition about like not productivity. I'm just like, I'll do whatever needs to be done when I feel that it needs to be done. And I'm very happy. Like there's just a lot of background work going on regarding Distinguished Diva, as I mentioned about products before. Mm-hmm. There are products that are now the, the intention and the energy behind them is not to inherently enforce capitalism, but to show that we need to grow and these are necessary tools to grow that are being created for whoever feel called to use them. <laughs> I'm so excited. I, can, you, can you say COVID dependent when you think they might be ready like- yeah so from our side they're really ready it depends on like publishing it depends on shipping so that's like i want to say spring 2021 okay we are launching a lot of tools like healing tools healing tools for everyone but because we always center women around our work mm-hmm. and also I love talking about power and i think when women talk about power it's really really difficult for people to listen or it's seen from a very much neoliberal competitive perspective where for me power is everything power is the time i'm using and spending with you to do this talk power Mm -hmm. is the relationship that we create together and i'm just really excited because everybody who's seen the what we're putting in the universe the the, i don't want to call it a product the offering that we're putting into the world they've all told me how beautiful it is and it's been a agamation of my work and Danielle's work in terms of design, but a lot of the experiences of the women that I've worked with, the artists that I've worked with. It's spectacular, if I could say so myself. (laughs) I'm excited. And even just the fact that you're connecting this offering with power, like I've been having so many interesting conversations recently about women and power and 
how being in isolation is an invitation for us to see where we all get our power from, mm-hmm. whether that is, you know, whether it's internal, whether it's about external validation, like for me, it's so much about community and getting power from the people that I choose to spend time with. You know, if we're all getting zoom fatigue, right? No one wants to just say yes to a zoom call for the sake of it. And I'm so grateful that you will, you were happy to speak to me today, but you know, just if you know, you've got a certain amount of time in the day and the only way you can communicate is via a video call then it becomes that's very precious and how you spend that time is a, a testament to what you want for yourself and where you're seeking all your energy from and yeah really and I also think the elements of care and like whenever we talk about women and I even look at what's currently happening there's quite a lot of women juggling so many things at the same time like people who are moms people who are workers who are working from home 40 hours but also expect to be homeschooling and all of this thing and for me I'm just like that is powerful that is power that is that is something that I personally think needs to be acknowledged, rewarded, and shown to the world that women are powerful and we create so much more than just what our capitalist kind of value is to the world. Because like, oh, if you're not a banker earning this, this amount of money, you're not a powerful person. I'm just like, you know the amount of power and intellectual and emotional power it comes into creating a conversation. Mm-hmm. creating a beautiful meal with your friends via zoom like <laughs> sitting down having a zoom dinner with friends and talking about how everybody's feeling and navigating those emotions those are powerful moments and i really i think 2021 covid allowing will be really when as distinguished diva we also move into talking more about power and not power alone or power over others but power with people which is what community is power together creating a power structure that dismantle what we now experiencing as a violence of power basically mm-hmm. like the structures that currently exist do not serve us they do not serve the most marginalized and the most vulnerable but there is a lot of power in the most marginalized and most vulnerable that people inherently do not see that we want them to see and reward and acknowledge and embrace Mm. and covid has shone a light on that you know that's something that we can be grateful for around that is we've suddenly realized who holds the power and it's people that keep our communities running and it's you know it's really highlighted certainly where where we live it's highlighted the power in loads and loads of small acts by lots of people having a huge cumulative impact on running communities and keeping people safe Um, that's been a real eye-opener certainly for me and I, I think that's the case in kind of microcosms all over the world is ultimately everyone is having to unite it's been a leveler in terms of you know people who are self-isolating and not just the elderly, you know, it's, it's people who have pre-existing health conditions that you wouldn't even be aware of. It's young people who are showing symptoms. It's, it's everyone and everyone needs their shopping picked up, you know. Exactly. Um, and to show our interdependence with each other. I think as a community, we always forget that we, we love isolation if we were allowed to choose isolation. But with COVID, what we realize is that we all actually need each other, like human beings or social beings. And our wellness and our well-being and our health is inherently dependent on the other person who might be miles away from us, who might be continents away from us. But everything that we do have a 
immediate reaction and consequence on the life of other people everywhere. And also, as you said, the people who uphold our society, the people who are working at the supermarket, the people who we pay less money for. Some people are talking about how they feel so overwhelmed because their cleaners were not able to come. I'm just like, remember that when you start paying them eight pounds? Remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I bet you're complaining about that and you've stopped paying them and finally I'm going to come from somewhere else. Yeah, Yeah. so it just shone a light about the inequalities in our society, but also shone a light about how we can do better, Mm. how we can value things better, people better, how we can center people, not money, not profit. Like profit is great because that's what keeps our society going in a capitalist society. But it also inherently told us that we don't really need to keep being the oppressor for us only to be fine. Because even if we are fine, if other people are not fine, we are all not fine. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's inherently how do we now understand that and how do we use that knowledge that we've gotten? And this very, it's very valuable uh, qualitative knowledge. How do we use that to build a different society? How do we redesign, renew, and re, kind of re uh, reevaluate our contracts with each other? It's like how you think about it. What is the contracts I have with you, Amy? What is the contract I have with the other women and men and people, non-binary people in my society? What are those contracts, and how can I reevaluate them and hopefully make them better for the benefit of all of us? That's it. And renegotiate them, you know, and just do it from a real place of humanity. Yeah. You know, like I, I it's it's made me think about every time I spend money or or mm-hmm. even just have an exchange, you know, like how to make that exchange as fair as possible for both parties. Yeah. And I feel as though things will be more negotiable now. You know, we've we've fallen into a into a pattern based on how it's always been and I think one thing that COVID has done is made us realize that actually one thing can just change overnight like everything can be turned upside down and then we need to be creative and you know come up with creative solutions and hopefully this has been a training ground for people to be more creative and think outside the box once this is all really looking forward to what we've all collectively learned from this Mm, i agree i agree and um so i often i so i would consider you um a global citizen and i feel like this this phrase is used a lot like someone you know you speak so many languages how many languages do you speak fluently i'll say five understanding more but oh my <laughs> I still hope to learn more <laughs> yeah it's amazing you're I, I that's one thing I think if I could have a superpower it would be to speak every language so when people can speak multiple languages I'm always just so impressed by it but would you use global citizen as a way of identifying yourself like how? I used to mm-hmm. do that I so when I was younger, I used to, I mean, you know how identities change once we're growing up, we keep changing our identity. There was a time I was like, yeah, I'm a global citizen, which really perfectly dictionary kind of defined my face, if you want to put it in a box, it, mm-hmm. it, it seems normal. But then there was a period I was like, I'm an Afropolitan because I'm a f- person of African descent. I am an Nigerian, but I'm also Greek, but I'm also someone who's lived in different metropolitan. So it makes sense, Afropolitan. Mm-hmm. And kind of talk about my relationship to space and my 
experiences because my relationship is very much with people who live in big cities so that that's kind of makes sense Mm -hmm. but currently I just think that I am a human who is fluid and multi-local so I call myself a Mm multi-local person that's interesting okay because I call different places there are different places that I feel at home. There are home that I call home. I call London home. I call Birmingham home. I call Lagos home. I call Munich home. I call Athens home. I call Brussels home now. So it's like they're just different localities that I find myself in that I also identify with very heavily and understand their nuances and also continue learning. So global citizen, I dropped the term because it started becoming very, very much uh, class thing where people show how many passports they have and that is a class privilege right mm-hmm. or people show how easily they can jet from one place to the other nothing bad about it but I was just trying to be a bit more mindful of what that will mean to people who cannot and how that kind of it kind of disassociate me from the people who are not in that place and I don't want that because I want something that can that unites us together so mm-hmm. when I say multi-local I feel more united I was in Accra last summer and I felt so welcome I felt at home and I was just like I could be from here <laughs> and I get to talk to the local exchange stories with them and it was really pretty it was really beautiful it was like learning being in a place and navigating what that looks like for me if I ever have to live there and mm-hmm. yeah takes away the notion of like ownership because then when I'm a multi-local those places do not belong to me as in owning them but they are places that I can call home Mm, that's really beautiful I think that is what I've found problematic about global citizen is that it it sounds elevated like Mm -hmm. above all of these places that you've been um multi-local is a beautiful way of looking at it (laughs) <laughs> I say multilingual, multilocal. Mm, mm, I think that's beautiful. Okay, and that leads us perfectly onto my final question, which I'm going to be asking everyone, which is, what does home mean to you? Oh wow! So there is this perfect TED talk that I identify with so much by Taya Selassie. She's an author of multilocal descent herself, and she says something that the, about home that was about relationship more than the physical space. Mm. And then I read a book about a good writer who's also British. I recommend this book so much for a lot of people. It's called No Place to Call Home. Mm-hmm. by JJ Bola and I identified so much with the book even though the book was talking about someone who is a refugee moving from Congo moving to the UK becoming British and navigating that identity for me it was more about how the stories are so similar regardless of what our economic backgrounds are and what are the reasons why we're moving so much and so home for me is where my loved ones are so it's about the relationships that I create and the people that are in those spaces, like my aunt lives in Milan. And whenever I go to Milan, I quite, I used to go to Milan once a year to see her for Easter, for example. So like last week I was supposed to be there. Uh, I feel at home. My Italian is okay, but not good, but still it feels home because she knows people who are there. So she has relationship with this place. When I show up, this places and people relate me to her 
and I become her child. And it was so interesting that people never see me as a stranger in the context of the relationship I have with people. Mm. And I was in Portugal for New Year in Lisbon. I don't know anybody, but our Airbnb person, I went with my best friend and our Airbnb person was so nice. She showed us around, wrote us note. And the relationship we built was so fast. So like I went for dinner and we met this DJ we clicked so fast. He took us to like a New Year's Eve brunch that turned into dinner, that turned into saying Happy New Year together, that turned into <laughs> going to an after party. And now we're, keep, we're in contact. So it's about those kind of relationships that just make the place feel home. And I was always like, when I came back, I was telling one, one of my friends who's from Portugal and she was like, how, do you, how was it? I was just like, I feel so at home in Portugal. That's magic. Days like that are magic. Exactly. So like this kind of days and the way we relate. So for me, home is about relationship that I'm able to build, the relationship that I have before, but also the new ones that might come into my life. So it's all about partnership, relationship, and where it resonates so much. Like I might not live there. Like I haven't been in Nigeria for more than 12 years now. But I still call it home because of all my families are there and my friends go there and my parents go every year. So it's, it's that kind of energy. That's so beautiful. And where, where is next for you, do you think? Post lockdown, where is the first flight that you will be? Oh my God. First flight, I'm going home to Greece. First flights, I am going to Greece, staying in a, I'm going to Athens, see my friends, hop on a boat and go to a Greek island, eat so much seafood and drink so much Greek wine and just oh. stay by the Greek sun. I don't care when lockdown is over. My first <laughs> flight is an Aegean flight to Athens. Oh my God, beautiful. That sounds like heaven. Isn't yeah. it amazing how things like that just feel so far away? <laughs> no, because this is things I do every year. So now I just feel like, what is going on? Am I ever going to get to do this? Oh. But that will be my first flight out. <laughs> yeah. My friend, she, she texted me the other day and she was like, okay, so first thing we're doing when lockdown is finished is we're flying, we're, we're going somewhere with a beach. And I was like, Ibiza? I was like, Spain? I was like, Greece? And she was like, I was thinking like, west wittering (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah yeah no that's what i meant too yeah (laughs) absolutely what you mean (laughs) get me to the sun oh so thank you so much it's been amazing to talk to you thank you so much amy for having me thank Thank you you so much really appreciate this conversation of course have a wonderful (laughs) week What a way to kick off the first season of Is This Seat Taken? I am so, so grateful to Adiola for spending time with me, um, particularly in this lockdown period. You know, who we give our time to is uh, really precious. Uh, So I'm incredibly, incredibly grateful to Adiola for taking the time out to speak to me. Uh, If you'd like to know more about Distinguished Diva or get in touch with Adiola, I will put links to her Instagram and her website in the show notes. Um, You can also uh, get in touch with me via Instagram and email. All of my details are in the box below. Um, If you've enjoyed this episode as a new podcast, it means the world if you could leave a review and subscribe. We've got new episodes coming out every week um, for the first season and I will start work on the second season very soon. So definitely keep an eye out for episodes from my upcoming guests. 
In the meantime, subscribe, come and say hello on Instagram and see you on the next one.